Thanks, Michael. Uh, when I was uh, ordained a couple years ago, a challenge was given to me at that time to be sure that I was always looking for a younger generation than me to be building, pouring into, building into, looking for people who can be uh, ministering uh, in ministry, maybe as pastors, maybe not, but always looking for people who can preach the word and learn to do so. And so Second uh, Timothy 2 gives this challenge. It says, you then, my child, this is speaking to Timothy, who was a pastor, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So that's a command to always be looking to pass on because everyone has an expiry date. Even when you're young, you're looking at the end and knowing that the word of God still has to go forth. Another generation needs to hear beyond us. And so, excuse me, today we have an opportunity to have someone come and, and take the pulpit for the day. And uh, he may be young, but he is qualified, I believe, to give you the word of God. So uh, Zach has, been, has wanted to be in ministry since about six years old. So this is a, a long time coming, and uh, Zachary has been part of our church for the last couple years now, and we've been glad to have him. He was away at Word of Life Bible Institute last year and has come back and ready to share God's word with us. So would you welcome Zach as he comes and shares. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to make a hard decision? Maybe you had to decide on what house you had to buy, what career you wanted to take, or what house uh, you wanted to take. You had to decide if you wanted to get married or if you had to break up. Maybe you had to decide whether you wanted kids yet or whether you wanted to wait a couple of years. Have you ever had one of those really, really hard decisions? Do you remember how stressed out you felt or how that impacted your life? There is a decision we make every day, and I believe it is the hardest decision we can make. I'm talking about the decision that could cause others to shun you or even hate you. Every day, we choose whom or what we worship. I'm talking about a decision. Um, I'm, we choose to worship God or we choose to worship man or money. There are times in life when it's going to be hard to know what the right decision is or even what we are supposed to do. I want to start us off today by showing you an example of faithful men who had to make an extremely hard decision. These faithful men had to make this decision about who to worship. So would you all turn your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 3? And they'll lead us off in prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for the great day you've given us and for this amazing day just to come together and have fellowship among the congregation here, Lord. I want to thank you so much for every opportunity you give us to worship your name and to bless you, Lord. And I want to thank you so much for this opportunity we have of prayer to worship you. Lord, I pray for courage as I come to the pulpit. And Lord, I pray that the words that I speak today are your words and that I may preach what you want me to preach, Lord. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. 
All right. To understand what is happening in this passage, we must look back in history to about 605 B.C. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had been conquering the land at a very fast rate. And he was going to battle Egypt, the other power of that era. And to go to Egypt, you have to pass through Israel. So, as he was going through Israel, he went to go see King Zedekiah. And King Zedekiah was very scared of Babylon and quickly changed his alliance from Egypt to Babylon. Scared that he was to conquer them. So King Nebuchadnezzar took some of the articles from the house of the Lord and he took captives from the royal family of Israel as a tribute of this alliance. Now the people he took had to be royal, they had to be the smartest, good-looking, wisest, and well-thought-of princes. Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were among these princes. Now King Nebuchadnezzar brought them back to Babylon and ordered them to become educated because the Babylonian strategy of war was to take the smartest people captive so that the empire can thrive under new sets of thoughts. So he made them learn the Aramaic language, the language of the Babylonians and Babylonian ways, and they studied for three years under their chief eunuch, who oversaw the Israelite captives and gave each of them a new name. The Israelites had names that had to do with the God of Israel, so he changed them to have to do with the gods of of Babylon to try to assimilate them. So Hananiah was given the name Shadrach, Mishael became Meshach, and Azariah became Abednego. And after studying in captivity, the king employed these men to work in his palace. Now Israel, in 586 BC, tried to revolt against the king. They revolted, and the king had grown tired of all the little revolts everywhere, so he just came in once and for all, destroyed the capital of Jerusalem, destroyed the walls in the temple, and it was now a barren wasteland. So he took everybody captive, from the poor to the rich. And our passage starts slowly after this victory, where the king wants to celebrate his victory over Israel and conquering the whole territory he had. So will you look at the passage with me? King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. That was about 90 feet by 9 feet. So about one and a half pianos wide and two, three churches high. It was a really tall monument. And, and he set it up in the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, and the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that I have set up. Therefore, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Now, the furnace here isn't just a baking oven or an oven that they would have to heat up their homes. This was either a smelting oven or an oven used to bake bricks that could go up to about 200 degrees Celsius. This was a sure-kill oven, so it was really hot in there. Therefore, as soon as the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, the trigon, 
the shrigon, the harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, the Chaldeans being astronomers, magicians, and advisors to the king, came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, they pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods, nor do they worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the, ba- the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, you well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fire furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? This question seems idiotic to us. But for Nebuchadnezzar, this made a lot of sense to say. He had just conquered Israel. He had won against their God. So who would save them? For him, their God was gone. The capital was done. The temple was destroyed. He won. Who was this God that would save them now? But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, still worship God through the king's order. Why would they disobey the king and worship their God who seemingly abandoned them? Why would they risk it and almost die for a God who would abandon them? Well, they had faith that God would come through. They knew he was there. So they did not worship the idol that the king had set up, but instead worshiped the one true God. Which brings us to our first point. We worship our deliverer by serving him above all others. We worship our deliverer by serving him above all others. This is an amazing statement of faith done in front of the king. They could have easily worshipped the idol like so many other Israelites were doing. They knew exactly what was the penalty for disobeying the king. Yet the king was found gracious in this instance and decided to give them one last chance. Perhaps this was a misunderstanding. They didn't hear the herald, maybe? I don't know. The king decided to give them another chance. Often in life, we are faced with various temptations. We know we shouldn't sin and we know we shouldn't do the things we do. But we do it anyway and we try to justify it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have used many excuses to try to worship the idol and save themselves from the furnace. And we try to do the same every day. As Christians, we need to be examples to other believers and to unbelievers. D.L. Moody, a famous theologian and the founder of the Moody Bible Institute, quotes, We are told to let our light shine. And if it does... We won't need to tell anybody it does. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. We don't have to explain to people why we do what we do. 
We need to show them what serving God is all about. Imagine this. Before service most Sundays, some of the young adults and I go to Subway to get breakfast. It sometimes isn't in our budget, but we go anyway to simply talk and have fellowship. So let's say one Sunday morning we all go, but I don't want to pay for food because I'm not hungry, but I really want a drink. But I don't want to pay for the drink, so I ask for a cup of water, then go to the pop machine and get pop and leave. So I don't pay for it, I just get it for free. Is that a good example? Not really. So I go up to the others and tell them to do the same because they save money in that way. In that moment, they have a choice to show the example or to make an excuse to get something for free. Now this is ludicrous compared to what's happening here, but it's the same kind of example. We have a little choice in life to either show the example or to stay to ourselves. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to deal with death itself if they were to disobey the king. How easy would it have been for them to simply do it once, make an excuse, and keep on serving the king? They were comfortable. But in doing so, they would not worship God. They, they, would, uh, they would worship the king. They could have said, we will fall down but not actually worship the idol. Or... We won't become idol worshippers. We'll just do it once and then move on. It's not that bad, right? Or our ancestors set up idols in the temple of God. This isn't half as bad. Look at what they did. Or the all-time favorite, we're not hurting anybody. We would be hurting ourselves not to do it. These all sound familiar. Because we are ourselves use them time to time. We love using excuses. But look at their response. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. The king just asked them a question saying, Who will deliver you? And they say, We do not need to answer you. The king was a power that could kill them right then and there. But they decided to stand up and say, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. They decided to stand firm, look the king in the eye, and say, No. Now, as Canadians, it's sometimes hard to say no. But these guys stood face to face with the men who would kill them if they said no. Yet they said it. They had the courage to say no. Which brings me to my second point. We worship our Deliverer by standing courageously for Him in peril. We worship our Deliverer by standing courageously for Him in peril. These three Israelites glorified God with their response. The king asked, and the Israelites answered, Who can deliver us from your hand? Our God whom we serve will be able to do so. This was no longer a fight between the Israelites and the king. This was now a fight between the king and the king. And God. All the focus turns to the God of Israel here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego told the king that God would save them and deliver them. This wasn't a bold attempt to impress. This was the claim of the century. They knew if they said that, they would be cast right, right away. They still said it. Our God will save us. It sounded absurd to the king. And here's the killer. Look in verse 18. In verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not 
serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. If not, even if he doesn't save us, even if we die, even if we were to die, we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image you have set up. They courageously took a stand and stuck to their convictions. Now the king was furious. He was angry before and testing them, but now this was adding insult to injury. Three of his officials, promoted by him in the last chapter, three of his favorite officials that almost always listened to the king, would not even listen to him in face of death. He was boiling. Look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He heated up a smelting oven seven times more. 200 degrees almost. That was more than 1,500 degrees Celsius. Then he continues, And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them in the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown in the burning fiery furnace. They threw the three Israelites with all their clothes on. They were bound, their possessions, everything they had on them, threw them in, ordered his mighty men to bind them up, throw them in. Nothing was salvaged from them. It's all in a quick moment's notice. Talk about sudden rage. And the Israelites knew this would happen. They had just been dropped on over than more 1,500 degrees Celsius. Hot enough to kill the army men by heat alone. Look at verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were mostly generals or the highest of the highs in the army. They were the mighty men. They died by the heat alone. And they were, th- and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the flames. Yet although they knew they would die, they stood their ground and told the king that they would worship God alone. I sometimes have problems telling a friend that I have to cancel something with them. But they just told the king through the though that should come that they would disobey him in his face. Verse 23, And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Would you be fearful in this situation? What would you do if a king or a prime minister or a political leader or police officer came up to you and said, renounce God or die a painful death? We'd like to think that we'd stand our ground. But would we really? It's hard to think about, but this isn't uncommon, especially nowadays with the, persecuting, the persecutions happening on other continents. Would we be willing to die for the glory of God? Now, we might not encounter a situation so grim, but the question could be rephrased as this. Would you be willing to be ridiculed, laughed at, and hated all for the glory of God. Holding fast to what you believe, would you be willing to be laughed at for the glory of God? 
Think about that for a bit. God uses us in mysterious ways. We just have to listen to him no matter the stress or the pain that comes with it. So helpless and bound, they were cast into a furnace praying for God to come and save them. Imagining falling to your death and the only thing you can think about is praying to God in that moment. So they prayed to God to come and save them or else they'd be seeing him soon anyways. So this could easily have been the end of the story. That's it. Done. But God had other plans. So, this is another story that proves God listens to prayers. Look at me in verse 24. Then, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men down into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fort is like a son of the gods. The king was astonished. Not only were they unbound, but there were four in the fire. Now imagine everything going through the king's head. These Israelites listened to their God, and it seemed like he was with them. Never had he seen another God do this before. This was amazing to the king. He was confused and even asked one of his servants if he saw what was going on, thinking he might just be seeing things. But here they were, frail Israelites, the political leaders, surviving in a fire of over 1,500 degrees Celsius, while two of the army's mightiest men had just died by the heat of the flames. One of the biggest mysteries in this passage is the fourth person in the furnace with them. I believe that this was Jesus Christ before he became human on earth, a pre-incarnate Christ. And Nebuchadnezzar was so surprised and shocked that he called out to them through the fire. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors, all gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire, no smell of fire had come upon them. God kept the Israelites safe. Much to Nebuchadnezzar's astonishment, because they had faith in their deliverer, which brings me to my third point. We worship our deliverer by trusting in his faithfulness. We worship our deliverer by trusting in his faithfulness. The Israelites just walked out of the furnace, unsinged, unscathed, and the smell of fire was not even upon them. Just walked out and went to see the king. This was major. God himself came to help them out. Imagine praying for a miracle, something so big that even the one that's praying it, yourself, is doubting that it will happen. A miracle so big that you're like, no, it's not going to happen, but I'm going to pray it anyway, because what if? God comes through, comes to deliver you, does the miracle that you were praying for. It's amazing. And sometimes you show faith in a way that makes other people around you marvel and praise God. Just look at Nebuchadnezzar's response in the next couple of verses. Verses 28. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, 
who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And I like how it says here, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. The king, who was furious that the Israelites were disobeying him, praises the Israelite god because of their examples of faith This is a total 180 compared to the start. The king who wanted to kill them was now praising their God. The king goes from belittling the God of Israel to exalting him nationwide. Going as far as to say that whoever would speak against him be torn limb from limb and their houses burned to a crisp. Trusting in God brings worship to God. And God decided to save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from their death to show an example of who has the power. His name was glorified through a small answer with great courage behind it. And on a bigger scale, God had decided to show the world who had the power through sending his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross, bearing all our sins and shame, causing a soon-to-be global praise. His name was being glorified everywhere, much like Nebuchadnezzar sang out. So the main point of the story could be debated among many people. Whether it would be that God delivered, or that we must take a stand to do what is right, those are very important things to get from the passage. But the main focus of the passage is to worship him. Worshiping the one who can deliver us from anything. And it is important for us to remember that God is always in control and that we can always turn to him for help. He loved us so much to send his only son to die for us so we know that he does care about us and listens to our prayers. We must focus on God instead of the little petty things that ruin our day. Focusing on the one who paid it all and who came to rescue us little sinners. We have a God who will come to rescue us in times of need and who will be with us in the furnace. We just need to ask him to do so and we will escape unsinged. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for every blessing you give us and every, every attempt we get to pray your name out, Lord. We know you're there with us through whatever may come. And there are some times that we ourselves believe that we are in the furnace, Lord. Life is going really rough. Things are not going our way, Lord. And we need a deliverer. And Lord, you, are, you yourself will come to help us, Lord. It's amazing to know that you are there. It's amazing to know that you take care of us. Lord, we don't deserve it. But I thank you that you do it. And Lord, I pray that as we go home after church and as we 
get to spend time with our families and friends. Lord, I pray that you can stay with us and teach us what you want us to do for the day and that we may every day pray for your deliverance and pray that you stay with us. And Lord, thank you so much for everything you've done for us. It's in your heavenly and precious name that I pray. Amen.